Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Judges 3, verses 12 through 30, page 191 in your Pew Bible. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened King Eglon of Moab against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In alliance with the Ammonites, the Amalekites, he went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. So the Israelites served King Eglon of Moab 18 years. But when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up from, for them a deliverer, Ehud, son of Gera, and the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The Israelites sent tribute by him to King Eglon of Moab. Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in, a cubit in length, and he fastened it to his right thigh under his clothes. Then he presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. When Eglon had finished presenting the tribute, he sent the people who carried the tribute on their way, but he himself turned back at the sculptured stones near Gilad and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So the king said silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber and said, I have a message from God for you. So he rose from his seat, Then Ehud reached out with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into Eglon's belly. The hilt also went in after the blade. The fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and then the dirt came out. Then Ehud went into the vestibule and closed the doors of the roof chamber on him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came. When they saw that the roof doors of the chamber were locked, they thought, He must be relieving himself in the cold chamber. So they waited until they were embarrassed. When he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. There was their Lord lying dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the sculptured stones and escaped into Sierra, where he arrived. He sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hill country, having them at their head. He said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. For they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they killed about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. No one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land rest 80 years. It's okay to admit it if you didn't know that that story was in the Bible at all, (laughs) right? I have an ambitious uh, goal today. This might, I hope, be the best sermon you have ever heard on that passage. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, in his book, Christian Apologetics, has this great quote. I love this image. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end, 
Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. I love the poetry of that. And I I would never want to be on record as trying to challenge C.S. Lewis, but in my experience, that phrase is a tad too simple. It's... uh, it's, it, it, I think, divides us perhaps too easily. I mean, maybe there are people who fully want to do the will of God all the time, but I find myself pretty much every day balancing both sides of that equation. It's my sincere hope most of the time to follow God's will, but it is also a daily war. I am more regularly than I want to admit doing battle with my selfish self. The season of Lent is a time set aside for the painful audit of how often we say, my will be done. This is how we're spending our next 40 days together. We're looking at the mess we create when we continue to say, my will be done. It's easy to veer off course, and eventually we'll find that our souls have gotten twisted beyond all recognition. Repeated betrayal, and we find ourselves at a dangerous distance from God's shining hope. The season of Lent demands the painful review of how off course we can get from God's will, but it also holds up the promise of pardon. There's a theme in today's sermon that plays throughout Scripture that is good news indeed, and we will get there before we get through. It's a theme of deliverance. Kind of like when we were kids, you remember playing with the Etch-A-Sketch? and trying to draw a line that was diagonal. It's almost impossible, right? And then you look down at the mess you just made, and then it had that wonderful quality that you could pick it up and shake it, and it would just all go away. Serious attention to Lent gives us that same grace. So that explains Lent but it does not explain why in the world I'm preaching five weeks out of the Old Testament book of Judges. I I see that hand. Doc, what are you thinking? I mean, five sermons from Judges. I mean, there's a good reason the lectionary only has one short selection from Judges every three years. It's full of violence, patriarchalism, tribalism. Besides, judges couldn't get a PG-13 rating if you gave it to the people at Pixar and said, try to do this for a mixed audience. Horrible stories. We just heard one read. So I get it. You're saying, Doc, what are you thinking? For the sake of brevity, I have two short responses. First, as people of the book, we should acquaint ourselves with all of it. 
The Bible is inspired for our learning and growth, and every now and then we ought to travel into the less populated places, meet the people, walk the lands we seldom enter, familiarize ourselves with places we seldom go. But the other reason that judges might fit for this Lenten season is there is a refrain that shows up seven times in the book. And I think it's a Lenten phrase, seven times. If it shows up seven times, it might be trying to get my attention. Seven times, Judges laments, all the people did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Judges is a hard look at our destructive tendency to live selfishly to do what is right in our own eyes and the mess it causes. Either we say, thy will be done, or God says to us, thy will be done. And our repeated attempts to choose our will hurts God and damages us. So, it is a theme, I think, that's apparent in the book of Judges. Before we dive into today's story, uh, I, I want to have a word of, I want to read the warning label and then, and then give a little bit of background. Here's the warning label. As I already said, these stories are graphic and unsettling. I'm going to try to nuance I'm going to try to preach these with respect for the fact that we might have eight-year-olds in the room. But still, these stories are rough. Now some background. Thirteen judges ruled and reigned over the tribes of Israel for 450 years. Do the math, that makes some long tenures. Five of them served for 40 years or more. Calling them judges might be a little bit misleading. Don't think uh, black robe and gavel. Maybe in the case of Deborah, but we'll get there. It might be better to think of them as governors or uh, They were leaders of independent Jewish tribes. In an era of battle and conquest, the judges were the tribal leaders, the chieftains who organized the response to the ongoing attacks from hostile opponents. The first judge of Israel, Othniel, and the second judge is our figure today. His name is Ehud. And his story starts this way. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened King Eglon of Moab against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Our story starts with the most unsettling truth, which is our betrayal has consequences. Again, they did what was evil. And when our lives turned to continued betrayal, there are consequences. And and Israel's continued evil allowed for the rise of King Eglon to rule harshly over them for 18 years. 
But the people of God cried out to God. Apparently repentant, God brings forth an unlikely deliverer in Ehud. And even though our story is full of graphic violence, the tale is told in a kind of slapstick comedy. It's one of those tell-it-again-by-the-campfire kind of stories. It's funny. There are different plays on words. There's bathroom humor. There's all the stuff of the middle school lunchroom table right here in our story. For instance, Ehud is from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin literally translated son of the right hand. And yet our hero is left-handed. They're setting up a funny story. So are you ready? Ehud and his entourage go to see the fat king, to make tribute, to pay taxes, to bow to the king, to kiss his ring, to show in fear and respect that they know they are under the rule of King Eglon. They leave after having paid their respects and paid their taxes They're headed out from the castle. They get to the quarry of stones where the Moabite idols are being carved. And Ehud sends his company on ahead and he turns back and says, I'm going to go back to the castle and pay another visit. He goes back for his private visit with the king. He comes in, he appears innocent. I mean, besides, he had just left not long ago bowing and kissing the ring and all of that. So he's let in to see the king who is on the cool roof chamber. Let me skip with the Hebrew translations here and just say he's on the throne, but it's not the one with the purple drapes. Y'all following me? Okay. Told you I'm going to try to nuance this stuff. So, he says to the fat king, I have a secret for you. So, the king shoes the attendants out of the room so he can hear the secret. Why there are attendants in the room, your guess is as good as mine. That's usually a private thing. But anyway, he shoes the attendants out of the room. Ehud says, I have a secret for you, but it's not one of those don't tell kind of secrets. The secret he has is an 18-inch two-sided sword on his right hip. He's got it on his right because he's left-handed. He pulls it out, he stabs the king, and it goes so deep into the flab that the new judge of Israel can't get it out. He stuck the sword in Eglon's fat belly, quote, and the dirt came out. I said it's full of bathroom humor, remember? Ehud locks the door behind him, escapes unnoticed. The king's attendants see a locked bathroom door. No big deal. They have no inclination to go in and find out why it's locked, right? That makes sense. So there's plenty of time for Ehud to escape. But after a while, a very long while, king isn't coming out of the door, out of the room. So they go fetch a key 
to check on their leader, they find King Elon dead on the floor. Ehud is long gone. Following the death of the king, the Moabite threat crumbles. Israel raises up forces to capture control of the shallow streams of the Jordan near Jericho. They regain control of this critical trade route. And the story ends. God enacts God's will through an unlikely fat king and an unlikely left-handed assassin. So what are we to make of a story that has this much gross violence and apparently no moral at all? I'm willing to take a seat if somebody else wants to take a stab at this one. I mean, the story's crude, right? Even the theology is crude. But let's keep in mind that 1,400 years before Christ, dispute negotiation and theology and storytelling, it's not all that developed. This is not a time where you'd have the Treaty of Versailles, right? The only option in that era was submission to the rule or violent resistance and rebellion. But however crude each episode in Judges, each of these episodes is a new story of Exodus deliverance. The story is a way our ancient ancestors declared again that God is merciful and gracious. God is the God of forgiveness and deliverance. God wants a new start for God's people. The story begins, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God does punish that betrayal, 18 years. But God also stands ready for forgiveness, deliverance, new starts. This theme is prevalent throughout all of Scripture. Starting with the Garden of Eden. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, eating from the tree was supposed to result in death. There was punishment, but not death. There was not a destroying that goes on in Eden. God, God instead holds back, offers grace and forgiveness, and we do not get the full weight of what we deserve. The story of Noah. God promises to destroy the whole earth, but then God holds back, preserves Noah and his family and the animals. The earth is punished, but it is not destroyed because there's grace and pardon and new beginning, and we do not get the full weight of what we deserve. The Israelites did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God punishes with 18 years of being subject to Moabite rule. But God listens to the cry of the Israelites and delivers them again. 
One of the great macro themes of our holy book is God's outstretched hand ready to deliver us from the mess we make. It's a worthy Lenten theme. Either we say, thy will be done, or God says to us, thy will be done. And our rebellion creates messes as unique as our individual stories. But the answer, the answer to our messes is universal. The answer is to turn back to the God of deliverance and declare again, I am so sorry. I am living for myself and I am making an absolute mess of it. And it's time to say again, thy will be done. And when we do, God's outstretched arm of deliverance takes us in hand again. And in God's most extravagant, most beautiful act of mercy, God sent Jesus for our deliverance. And so as we start to approach the table of God's grace, we're reminded that God's deliverance doesn't require 18 years of being punished by our choices and our rebellion. By God's unparalleled grace, we come to this table in humility and just say, I've made a mess. Trying to live doing it my way is not working. And it's time to say again, thy will be done. And when we do, deliverance is ours. Like the Etch-A-Sketch, the table allows us to shake the screen and erase the mistakes and start over again, saying each day, thy will be done. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.